Hello and welcome to another episode of the House of Hinky Built podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Frank. And today we are breaking down or discussing the Philadelphia 76ers 114-109 loss to the Brooklyn Nets uh, in their home opener. They now are 1-1 on the year, 0-1 at home, 1-0 on the road. They'll be back uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday. Uh, Kind of the first marquee matchup of the year for the Sixers. Uh, the first time they've faced Kevin Durant as a Brooklyn Net, uh, and Durant did not disappoint. Uh, he was, I would say, the best player on the floor in this game uh, with 29 points, 12 rebounds, 15 assists, one steal, one block. Uh, was really, really good on both ends, I thought. Really made a lot of nice passing reads, a lot of good scoring reads as well, and then was good as a defender off the ball in particular. Um, but this was a game the Sixers absolutely should have won, truthfully. Uh, they controlled it for... I mean, conservatively, 42 and a half minutes when Matisse Thybul, uh when he had that dunk to go up 108-98, there's about five and a half minutes to go. Uh, they led uh, all the way through the, let's see here, they led all the way until 48.2 seconds to go, but unfortunately they were outscored 16-1 to down the stretch of that game to close it out, and their only point was when the Spurs intentionally fouled and put Seth Curry in the line, who subsequently split split a pair. Um, so really, really poor effort down the stretch. They they were in control for three and a half quarters, but NBA games are four quarters long. So, uh, they, I mean, that was a game they had to have. They shot 40% from three. Uh, Tobias Harris had 23 points. Seth Curry was 9 of 12 from the field for 23 points. They It was just a game that, you know, you, you kind of have to win. I, I don't mean in the sense that, like, their season's derailed or anything, but those are the sorts of games you should win. Uh, I know Joel Embiid wasn't great, but uh, I got some talking points I want to get into here. Again, trying to keep these post-game pods pretty short. Uh, I did get a really... I got, I got some good feedback from a few of you on Twitter, so I thank you for that. Um, apologies, I cannot remember who gave me this information. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, this this uh, this feedback comes from at MC Nurkin on Twitter. They would like me to highlight one X's and O's plays play per game on these pods, and so I'll open with that. Uh, I thought the Sixers' first play of the, the game offensively was nice. They ran kind of the, the traditional DHO on the side with, with Seth and Joel, but they also incorporated Danny Green coming from the weak side, I think, to set a screen on Seth's man as Joel Embiid facilitated the handoff. I thought that was cool. Seth got an open look on it to open the game for three. So I like that X's and O's play. Uh, thank you to McNurkin for that. If you were listening to this podcast, I really did appreciate your feedback. So continue to give me ways I can improve these post-game pods while keeping them pretty short and sweet for all of you. I really do welcome constructive criticism and feedback. Um, but a few other things I wanted to discuss. Uh, Tobias, you know, 8 of 12 for, for 19 points in the first half, 2 of 8 for 4 points in the second half. I think he missed a bucket uh, late in the game that would have put the Sixers back ahead. Uh, really just struggled to get to his spots in the second half. You know, that's the thing that... You know, kind of one of the running jokes among Sixers fans, Sixers media, Sixers analysts, Sixers circles in general is first quarter Tobias Harris is unstoppable. And I mean, that was that was the case today. Uh, but they needed him down the stretch and he couldn't deliver. But optimistically, I liked that he took quite a few contested threes and contested jumpers. Hit a pull-up three in the half court at one point. I don't recall many of those during his time as a Sixer. So that was encouraging from that perspective. He talked again at... At media day, but wanting to improve taking more dribble threes off the dribble and more contested threes. So you saw a little bit of that. Uh, only four of his 20 shots were threes, but it's an improvement from when I think he only took one or two in the first game against the Pelicans. So that, that's that's some growth there. 
But again, for, for a guy who's kind of expected to be your, your perimeter creator, your, one of your primary perimeter creators, you needed more from him than, than four points on two of eight shooting down the stretch. And I'm sure some of that's regression to the mean, but uh, zero free throws, 20 shots, only four threes. You, you got to take a little more. You got to either get to the cut more. But he did well, to, to especially in that first half, get out in transition, really bully some of the undersized defenders on the break uh, to easy buckets, hunting the spots, getting, a good, getting good looks there. So uh, all in all, a pretty good game for Tobias, but... You left, you kind of left it wanting more because of the strong start, which honestly is something you you get kind of grow accustomed to with the bias there, unfortunately. Uh, similarly, I I didn't think Joel Embiid was great. I I don't know exactly what's going on. I know in the first game he was getting worked on. He's getting some treatment on his knee. Uh, he spoke post game with, with NBC Sports Philadelphia after that one and said he was just it was some standard treatment, but he was listed as fifty fifty uh, today. I don't know exactly what his status was on the injury report, but. Uh, it didn't seem like he was by any means a, a surefire bet to play. And then he told reporters post game that, you know, it's again, he probably should have sat out, but he doesn't want to. He kind of feels like he owes it to his teammates. He wants to keep playing. So not ideal for your franchise superstar through two games to have already had, you know, some knee issues, you know, given he's had different knee issues throughout his few years, you know, obviously coming off the meniscus tear uh, in the postseason. So, not exactly sure what's up there, but only played 30 minutes today. Again, he only played 31, 31 minutes per game last season, so not a huge outlier. But a game like that, you thought maybe he'd get up to 32, 33 minutes. I know he talked in preseason and media day and stuff like that. That He feels like he's really committed himself to, to kind of getting in the best shape he can, whether it's his diet, conditioning. So kind of strange to see him only play 30 minutes in a game that you know, the Sixers could have used his services for 32, 33, which I think is is a reasonable baseline. You know, we're not asking him to play 38, 40 minutes. That would be, that would just be silly in game two of the regular season. But uh, something kind of weird there. But uh, I think to Joel's credit, I've been really impressed with his his defense through two games. I know the offense hasn't quite been there. I'll get into that in a minute. But defensively, I really like the post defense, especially against Jonas Valanciunas in game one. Had a had a nice play against uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. A couple of nice plays, I think, today. Uh, I guess if you're listening to this, on Saturday, you, I guess you could say yesterday, we'll, we'll call it Friday to make things easier for everyone. The pick-and-roll defense has been awesome. He's really, really kind of learning to master the, the cat-and-mouse game, you know, in drop to, to force the ball handler to pick up their dribble, which is something I highlighted on our Drummondson really well through two games or highlighted on the previous post-game pod. Joel has really taken strides the last couple of years, and I think that's continued, uh, you know, or I should say last couple of years, including the start of this year. Um, sorry if this is a little bit discombobulated today but I hope it's still informative for you but uh so I think Joel has been really good in that regard but but offensively a couple of down games you know he had 22 points on 56 percent true shooting in game one against the Pelicans uh on Friday he had 19 on 54 percent true shooting and those are two games that you know he should I would say tonight especially is a game he should dominate you know the Nets don't really have a lot of you know, size on the interior. I know that LaMarcus Aldridge played heavy minutes and he was good. We'll talk about what LaMarcus did well and kind of how he posed some threats to the Sixers, especially on offense. But you got to get more than 19 on 54% true shooting. I, I I think they've really kind of leaned into letting Joel initiate a ton of offense. You know, he's dribbling the ball up after he gets a rebound. He's flowing into some pull-up jumpers. He's doing the dribble handoff type things on the perimeter. But, I, but it doesn't feel like he's gotten as many of those mid-post touches on the left block. And I think especially in a game like Brooklyn where... He's either going to have a size or quickness or both advantage over Blake Griffin, uh, uh, size, quickness, or strength, all three of them. Whatever. He's going to have at least two, two of those aspects, I think, over every guy the Nets can throw out there in the front court to guard him. So whether that's Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge, 
uh, I, I just think you're kind of negating some of what he can do. It's good to tap into the versatility and the, the pull-up shooting that he's really displayed the last couple of seasons. Um, but I think you know he's at his best in that mid-post area. And you, I think the offense in general is at its best when he when he can really create from that area. And I just don't think they've gotten enough reps for him there. And I think especially that was the case in, in Friday's loss to Brooklyn. So not exactly sure what's going on. Hopefully the knee is not a huge issue, but it's it's certainly suboptimal to hear that through two games from the Sixers' perspective. And then I just don't think that he's been used in the ideal way. I know they want to tap in that versatility, like I said, but you got to go to the bread and butter a little more, and I think that, that would really help him get back on track. Just some specific numbers. Uh, through two games, he's 10 of 24 on two-pointers, about 41%. Last year, he shot 54% on those. Small sample, you're looking at three to four shots, and he's, he's right back into that range. But just something to note so far, he hasn't been great on twos. That's something that really made him really awesome last year. He's about 53% for his career on twos, so um, look for a little bit of positive regression. I'm not saying immediately, but at some point throughout the course of the season, just to, just to note that he's below average right now there. So I I don't know exactly what's what's going on there. I mean, I'm not saying Joel's been bad, but I don't think he's been an MVP self, or at least he definitely wasn't today, uh, or Friday, excuse me. It was pretty good, I thought, on Wednesday, but definitely not Friday, uh, at least on offense. Defensively, I thought he was, he was excellent. Uh, against the Nets, but you, you need him to kind of be a little better offensively to to kind of guide this team. And I mean, he just, he, I don't know, he, I don't think he scored uh, when he came back in with about four and a half minutes to go. I'm going to double check that here. Uh, apologies for any sort of pause, but let me just check here. So yeah, Joel, yeah, I mean, they, they didn't score a bucket when he came back in with 412 to go. So, uh, you know, he missed, he missed one. He he missed two. He he, uh, he missed three shots, I think, in his in those four minutes. So just kind of strange. I don't know exactly what was going on there. Uh, you would have liked to see the coaching staff scheme up more more touches for him in those final four minutes because he was fairly well rested, right? If he's only going to play thirty minutes, you're going to want him to get a lot of touches down the stretch when his team, when he enters the, the game against a very good team with his squad up six points. So suboptimal game for subpar game for Joel, but I imagine he will be right back on track after the Thunder after the face of thunder on Sunday. But other things I wanted to make a note of here, um, I thought Javon Carter for the Nets, his ball pressure, he, I think he closed the game, or at least he played significant minutes down the stretch, really kind of took the Sixers out of their offensive rhythm. They don't have a ideal ball handler right now. Uh, and I don't, I mean, Ben Simmons is an ideal ball handler either, but uh, I thought Javon's, you know, Carter's ability to kind of get right into the airspace of some of the Sixers ball handlers and force them farther out as they try to initiate offense and kind of stymie that, or, Stymie that cold stretch. Uh, Carter was key to that. The Sixers largely played a lot of drop coverage, and that's where Lamarcus Aldridge really hurt them. You know, Lamarcus had, if I can pull it up here quickly, I should really be a little more on top of this, but let's see here. Pulling it up, yeah, Lamarcus had 23 points on 10 of 12 shooting. I don't have the shot chart in front of me, but it felt like at least six or seven of them were mid range jumpers that were wide open. So you probably would have liked, at some point, you would have wanted to see some sort of adaptability from the Sixers in terms of. If we're going to play drop, that's fine. Like, we, we want to prevent shots at the rim. I get it. Mid-range jumpers are, you know, those are fine shots, really speaking. But can we have someone stunt over, right? You know, if you're going to play, if you are, you're in a high ball screen, Lamarcus Aldridge is popping, can that weak side wing guy, can he stunt to make Aldridge have some, some sort of decision beyond just a rhythm jumper? I would have liked to see that be a tweak after Aldridge hit a couple of them because he really did burn the Sixers and, you know, 23 points, second most points on the team. Uh, you know, second most in the game behind KD's 29, or tied with with uh, with Tobias and Seth for 23. So, um, 
Lamarcus was not very good in that first game into the Bucks, so it's not ideal if you're from a six perspective for him to have 23 on 10 and 12 shooting look look pretty good doing it. So I mean, have the bucket the end one that put the Sixers put the Nets ahead at 109 108. So kudos to him, but the Sixers I think could have done more and should have been uh, more adaptable and you know, responsive to when he got going you know, in the middle of that game there. Um, that's that's one thing. Talked a little about you know, talked about Tobias's you know quiet second half. Seth was the same way. Uh, you know he had seven he had sixteen points for seven of nine shooting on seven of nine shooting excuse me in the first half only seven points on two of three shooting he hit a couple of threes and then he had that one free throw late in the game so he would like to see more from him uh, I think part of that was just a product of you know ball movement not being as good I think you know like I said Javon Carter really kind of forced the Sixers farther out with some ball pressure I think in general the Nets were were more focused down the stretch of that game in terms of you know really forcing. Sixers away from the basket, not preventing, the, not giving them those openings that generally an offense likes to use to have success. So uh, that's part of it. But you would like to see more than three shots for a guy like Seth, who really had it going all night. I mean, still went two of three down the stretch. It wasn't like he went zero of three in the second half. He was two of three still with a couple of threes. So uh, bright spots, though. I thought Furkan Korkmaz and Andre Drummond continued to build a rapport in that second unit in ball screen actions. Furkan had a number of really nice passes and plays getting downhill and pick and rolls, whether or ball screens, whether it was double drag, uh, which I've talked about you know, extensively the last couple of pods, or the pick and roll with Andre Drummond. So kudos to that. I really think that's going to be a source of consistent offense for the Sixers moving forward. And that bench unit, because I think you're going to see a lot of bench minutes. That's the way it goes with with, with Doc's teams. Uh, I thought Furkan also struggled defensively, though. I thought he got hung up on a lot of screens. It was maybe helping too much from the strong side. But all in all, I thought it was a pretty encouraging game from Furkan. Hit a pull-up three. Had a few really nice reads, you know, downhill as a, as a driver. So he continues to kind of be looking like he's in line for a really, really good year and, and someone who's taking a step forward in his ball handling capabilities. But Drummond specifically, uh, I really liked what he did on both ends. He was active, two steals, two blocks, 10 rebounds in 18 minutes. I can do the per 36 math pretty quickly there. That's 20, that's 20 rebounds in 36 minutes there for you. If you listen to, last, if you listen to the pod from uh, Wednesday, you know that I couldn't quite do the same per 36-minute math on the fly there, so it harkens back to that reference. I guess it doesn't really make a funny joke if I have to explain it, so I apologize for any listeners who had to endure that. But uh, I thought Drummond, again, was, was very good. Had a beautiful dime on, on a pass to, I think, Tobias Harris. Uh, threaded the needle through the defense, so really, really impressive. He's just truly been been awesome and spectacular in his role through six preseason slash regular season games. I know he'll have some down games or maybe the, the gaffes that were still there. He had hit a couple of plays today or on Friday. Uh, I don't recall specifically, but I knew another few mistakes. I think he'll still have those, but you know, he'll have some games where, generally speaking, he's a little more down, but he's been about all you can ask for out of a backup center so far. Really, really impressed by what he's shown, and I think he's clearly proving to be a substantial upgrade on Dwight Howard's minutes last year and basically any kind of Center reserves from the Sixers had maybe save for Al Horford, who, uh, for all the things that Al Horford struggled with, he was still a very useful backup center. It just didn't make sense to pay a backup center that much money, which everyone knows. I'm not, not you know, breaking any ground here, but um, give me just a minute here. I am going to drink some water, and then we we shall continue. But I hope this has been enjoyable for all of you as I as I do these and get more comfortable. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is, this is a game, though. The last thing I kind of want to touch on before I I uh, wrap up 
is, and wow, this is going to be a short pod, but again, keep it succinct, give you, give all of you listeners kind of just something easy to, to digest the day after a game and, uh, and whatnot. But I thought this was a game where they missed Ben uh, defensively. You know, they, you know, I don't think like Katie and, Hart and, John, and James Harden were good. I'm not saying they lit up the Sixers, but I thought the, the Nets got a lot of quality looks because they were able to get to their spots a lot, especially Harden, you know, as the primary ball handler. Uh, on many possessions, I think you know Ben's a guy who can really kind of prevent those, and and I think that that's where they really missed him as a guy who can you can just throw on the star ball handler and not necessarily shut him down, but just make things tougher, not let him collapse the defense as much. It felt like the Sixers were in rotation a lot. Uh, you know, this game wouldn't have been as close if the Nets didn't shoot twelve of thirty-eight from three. Joe Harris three of ten, Blake Griffin zero of five, Kevin Durant one of six, Paul Millsap one of four. So uh, I make a few more threes, and maybe it's not as close. And I think that's an example of where you miss Ben. Uh, they definitely don't miss Ben offensively much, honestly. Like I, I do think the spacing looks really good. They just miss another ball handler out there. I, but again, I don't think Ben is a guy who really handles ball pressure well. So I don't think he's some like savior in terms of crunch time offense. Like I don't think I think Javon Carter still might have been able to give him some issues down the stretch with his ability to kind of crowd someone's handle and whatnot. But defensively, definitely a game where I think they missed Ben Simmons' services. So. Uh, we'll kind of see as they continue to play some teams with maybe, you know, star ball handlers and whatnot. I know I know I praise Matisse's defense against Brandon Ingram, and I think Brandon Ingram's a good player, but I don't think he quite classifies as a star ball handler, honestly. So uh, we'll see as you know, we'll see what happens against a guy like Shea Gildas Alexander, who is maybe much, yeah, I would say he's much closer to the Brandon Ingram tier of ball handler than uh, the the James Harden Kevin Durant tier, but uh, which is not rocket science or groundbreaking, but. Uh, we'll see kind of how they fare that, but I thought this game was a good example of kind of where they miss Ben Simmons' services defensively. Just to think they really, uh, I thought they were good in help. I thought they were really good at kind of covering for each other's mistakes, but uh, it's a lot more preferable if you don't have those mistakes to cover for initially. And that's where I thought you saw the lack of, you just saw the lack of Ben Simmons out there really kind of manifest defensively. So uh, I think, like, I don't know, I, I, if there's anything else that, like, if, if there's things that all of you listeners think that I'm, neglecting in a post-game pod. Again, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, email me, do whatever you want. Um, just ask you to keep it respectful, of course. So, um, so let me know. I think that's going to cover it, though, for today. As I run through my, my notes, I think I hit everything. Uh, again, you know, constructive criticism is always welcome, but um, the Sixers will be back in action You know, uh, on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, when they uh, travel to Oklahoma City to take on the Thunder, uh, which, you know, the Thunder are a team that is in uh, developmental mode to put it one way so we'll see how that goes but um, maybe they move to two and one on the air but uh, I will catch all of you uh, on Sunday or Monday or whenever you listen to this your next podcast but I hope you enjoyed this again always welcome to more constructive criticism as I try to get better at these and I know this is probably a bit of a rant and a ramble but I hope it was still informative nonetheless and uh, maybe soon I'll have I'll be getting some guests so I'll have a little I'll have a partner to talk with on these but Again, we are recapping the Sixers 114-109 loss to the Brooklyn Nets on Friday as they dropped to 1-1, and and they will take on the Oklahoma City Thunder on the road at 4 p.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, 4 p.m. Pacific on Sunday. Um, in the meantime, be happy, be safe, be well. I'll talk to all of you again soon.